This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I want to bring this series to a conclusion this morning on Go With God. And this morning I'm going to be speaking on this subject, God's Almighty Hand. And uh, there are a couple of scriptures that will get us into the cornerstone of the message this morning. We're going to begin by looking at Isaiah chapter 41, and then we're going into Exodus 13 and 14. While you're turning, and they'll get these scriptures, Isaiah, on the screen for you here. I don't know if it's, if it's just me, maybe there's a group of me, where you long for the day where you, you wake up and there's no more devil, there's no more sin, there's no more temptation, there's no more wickedness, there's no more evil, there's no more Joe. You know who I'm talking about, right? There's no more calamities of the world. There's no more famine. There's no more politics. And I step back from that and I say, that sounds like heaven. The good news is this. Most everybody in here this morning have had loved ones that have already crossed the bounds of life and death and they're already there. Some woke up a long time ago and are experiencing everything that I just described. Some people that we don't know, stand sister to be ex an exception to the rule, just Friday-ish. Was it Friday, Stan? Your sister passed away? Friday. Who woke up and found this utopia of what this Bible speaks about. One of these days, if Jesus tarries is coming, we will all, if you know Christ, you, you will awake in his presence and you will be in this land that is fairer than day. But right now, every single one of us must wake up and deal with sin, temptation, the devil, the wickedness of this world, the hatred of this world, the prejudice of this world, the politics of this world. This is something we have to navigate through until Jesus calls us home, until the rapture takes place. Every one of us. But I'm so thankful that, as the old song says, the anchor holds and grips the solid rock. So this morning I'm talking about God's almighty hand and how that applies and affects you and I today. Right now, in the world that we live and all of the troubles that come before us like a rushing wind every day. Let's see what the word of God has to say about this. This morning, and I'm speaking again on this subject, God's almighty hand. And in Isaiah chapter 41, verse number 10, I'm going to begin here and then get into the text passages this morning. The prophet said, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. In Exodus chapter 13 and in verse number 22, Brother Danny touched a little bit on this in Sunday school today, which was a masterful lesson. But the word says, he took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night 
from before the people. There was a significant reason why he did not do that. And in chapter 14, if you go to the right just a little bit, let's look at verses 1 through 4. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn. And I'm go that's going to be a big, big thing in a moment. Those two words. And encamp before Pharaoh between Megdal and the sea against Balsaphon before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts and the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and they did so. Now if you've been paying close attention in this entire series, Go With God, you see and we notice today that here in our story that God is relentlessly working on the hearts of his people. And they are slowly beginning to learn who he is and what he's capable of and where he's leading them to. God is constantly reminding his people that he is always with them. And by the way, this extremely illustrates our walk with Christ as well. He's given you and I the same promise that he gave the children of Israel that he's always with us. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5, the word says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Sometimes we have a hard time nailing down that promise. But it's so true. It worked for the Israelites and it was there for them and it is with us today. Here in Exodus I believe sometimes when we read incredible, especially these kind of incredible stories of old, that we can easily lose the chill and the wonder of them if we're not careful. Sometimes when you hear stories like this, either taught or preached, you can sit back for the opening part of the message and you can say, oh, I know this story. And you can easily be distracted with things that move you away from the points that God would have for us for a day. And we could easily lose the supernatural element of what's taking place in, in these specific events. And we become callous. I think sometimes we can become callous about the miracles that these stories of old can present to us and that they bring sometimes these stories I think if we're not careful we have the ideology that it can only be confined to color book experiences that are only used in the story times for the children but what I want to emphasize this morning is this that they are these experiences that we're reading about as <clears throat> the children of Israel are on this pilgrimage is that these stories are totally real, miraculous happenings that the Ancient of Days worked in real life powerful ways in the early days of humanity. And I want to quickly give you two New Testament scriptures that I believe will help set the tone for today's message. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 1 through 6. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant that how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples. 
to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians assaying to do were drowned. So before us today is one of the miraculous Old Testament stories that is pointing people to Jesus. And omitting this is one of the many reasons Andy Stanley is in big trouble today. It goes from the Passover to the crossing of the Red Sea. I think some of the most important things we need to look for when studying the scripture is what what is God saying to his people? What is he trying to accomplish? Where is God leading? Those are some important questions that I pray that when you study the word, when you read the word, that you ask yourself as you as you set under the word, what's God trying to do here? Those things go hand in hand with how he was working in the lives of the Hebrews. And if it were possible for someone to have interviewed these Hebrews after crossing the Red Sea, I wonder how would they express or how would they explain their experience? And I thought about that in the development of this message a couple of weeks ago, that maybe this is what they would say while they were on their journey to Canaan. As the interviewer would ask the question, who are you? Maybe one would say, well, I was in a foreign land under the sentence of death and bondage. But God sent deliverance. I took shelter under the blood of the Lamb. A bold mediator came and led us out of Egypt. We just crossed over the Red Sea and we are on our way to the promised land. We're not there yet. But God has given us the law to make us a community with him. He has given us the tabernacle because we must live by grace and forgiveness. His presence is in our midst and he has promised to stay with us until we get home. And if you stop now and think about that just for a moment, that's pretty much the same way we should respond if a person were to interview us about our Christian journey. Because of the cross and the resurrection and our repentance and our embracing what Jesus did for us, we have been brought out of the bondage of slavery. We are on a journey. We're not home yet, but we have the promise that he will be with us until we get there. It's the same message that the children of Israel experienced, we enjoy the blessing of that promise today. And so here in Exodus chapter 13, the story reminds us that God's presence is dedicated to his people. He says over and over again, he says, I will not leave you, my presence is always with you. And so again, I want you to see something here in Exodus 14, one through four. And I call two words to your attention in the opening reading of this passage this morning. But let's look at verse number one. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel, look at this, that they turn. Now that's the most unusual insertion of scripture. And it's one of those mind boggling scriptures. We step back and say, at first glance, why would God do that? But look at this. And encamp before Pharaoh between Megdal and the sea over against Balsaphon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness had shut them up and I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So here's the thing. God makes a strategic move here. He does something extraordinary. He says to Moses, 
And, and this, this is one of those things where you just got to know that God's ways are better than our ways and his thoughts are better than our thoughts. But he says to Moses, he said, Moses, just for a moment, a brief fleeing moment, he says, I want you to turn back just a minute. And then God says, I want Pharaoh to think that he now has a way to catch up with you and that he has boxed you in. I want Pharaoh to think that he can recapture you. So God, he plans to string Pharaoh and the Egyptians along right up to the Red Sea. Now let me ask you a question today. You remember that in the beginning of our series that God said that he would not only humiliate Pharaoh, but he would also do that to all of the false gods in Egypt as well. God is saying to Moses, I want you, Moses, to watch me fulfill this promise again. God said, I did it over and over with the plagues. I want you to watch me do this all over again. And I want the people to see it as well. And so in chapter 14, verse 5, and it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. Pharaoh's army, he, they, they begin to question him now. And they begin to say, why have we done this? Why are we in this spot? Why did we let them go? What they should have asked is, why have we become such fools as to go to war with their God? They should have said, we could have ended all of this stuff weeks ago. All of this trouble, we could have ended a long time ago. They should have said, now look at us. They step back from this just for a moment and they realize that they are in a sandwich of a situation They're saying we're in more trouble now than we have ever been in. We have refused to humble ourselves and now we're reaping the consequences of it. And in verse 6, And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Now here's the thing. Pharaoh's heart was so wicked and so evil that he could no longer reason with anyone anymore. Now, let me say this, that every time we choose sin, and by the way, sin is a choice. Sin is a choice. Sin is not forced on any of us. Sin is a choice. And whenever we choose sin, we deteriorate our ability to see sin and its consequences correctly. Let me say that again. It's worth writing down. Every time we choose sin, we deteriorate our ability and to see, of to see sin and its consequences correctly. So Pharaoh was more at ease with the sufferings of the pleasures of sin for a season than facing the consequences of his sin. Now, you'll have to stick with this in order to get it. But I believe there are some principles in the Word of God that if you learn today, you can apply to your own life. And that's exactly what sin will do to you and I. It, it blinds us to the consequences. We, we have no trouble and reservations about the party sin will bring. And, and we, we have no problem feeding the flesh and desire the passion of sin, oh man, it it satisfies the flesh. It pleases the flesh. But sin, listen carefully now, it deteriorates our ability to see the consequences correctly. It blinds us to the consequences That's something 
we really don't give insight to is the consequences of sin. That's one of the reasons why it's so hard to resist. Because we never, we never stop and contemplate what the end result will be. When sin becomes harder to resist, listen carefully, don't lose this point. When sin becomes harder to resist, it will become easier and easier to run with it. And that's exactly what happened to Pharaoh. I mean, after the plagues, after the death of his firstborn son, one would think, okay, God, I get this. I see, I'm sorry, I'm remorseful, I'm repentant, forgive me, help me. But his actions, as you have seen in this entire story, shows just how hardened his heart really was. Maybe the enemy this morning has you in a weak and in a vulnerable way. Right now. Maybe you're going through a period, a season in your life where the enemy has his fangs, his claws, his hooks so embedded in you right now. And you feel very vulnerable. You feel very weak. And maybe as, as the enemy has oppressed you, he's and, and you know, you know, listen, the word says, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. And if you're a child of God, you know the difference between right and wrong, sin and evil. You know, you know the, the difference between pleasing God and rebelling against him. You, you, you know all of that. You don't need a Sunday school lesson in this. But maybe the devil has come to you at such a time like now. He's got everything within his arsenal, hooked in you. You, you know it's wrong. And you, and you know what the Bible says. And even, even in that mindful struggle momentarily, in, in this wrestle, and, and you're not wanting to do it, but you feel that the grasp of Satan is so strong you, you cannot do anything about it. Sin is a choice. And Satan may have you in his, in his claws and he may be, and you're saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And, and he may be whispering to you, want just one more time. Just one more time. I know you want to do right, but just one more time. And maybe you said, or maybe you're saying, yes, one more time. One more time. Never forget this. The devil is never satisfied with one more time. Let that truth sink way down deep this morning. He never intends to loosen his grip on you, never. So hold on to these spiritual truths this morning. The first thing that I would like to share with you today, if you're looking at your bulletin, number one is this. God can break the power of the chains of sin in our lives. He can do it. You can't do it, but he can do it. However, you have to be willing for him to do it. Now, if, if Satan has you in his grip and he's whispering you to these temptations and where you know you're vulnerable and you're weak and you're having a spiritual conflict going on, you're at war, you're, you're wanting to do good, but, but you say, I can't do it. Listen, you can never do it in your own power. That's why Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. So here is the thing. You're, you're overwhelmed in spiritual conflict, spiritual warfare. And you say, I won't do it. Oh God, help me. Now here's the thing. And Satan's over there saying, one more time. 
And you're saying, all those times, one more time is not going to matter much. And, and, and God is speaking to you, let go. And Satan is saying one more time. And you're saying, oh God, help me. Listen, that, that's not going to work. If you want God to break the chains in your life, then here's what you got to do. Instead of all this back and forth, wanting God to be some kind of magician in your life, if you want God to break the chains in your life that's holding you down, then you've got to cut. The song says, out of my bondage, sorrow night, Jesus, I come to thee. You, what you've got to do is this. You've got to walk to the Lord and say, here are my chains. I'm sick of it. God, break them and set me free. Now you present yourself to God in a way like that and you truly, truly, truly mean it. You have his attention. But if you're over here playing games with God, listen, he's omniscient. He knows all things. So I want to emphasize that God can't, wherever you are in your life right now, if you're in this, in this place of, of struggle, God can break the chains of sin in our lives. Look at John 8. Verse 30, and he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou? Ye shall be made free. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Listen carefully. Millions of people have trained themselves. Trained themselves to live in sin. And this is one of the reasons why it's so difficult to break from it because we've trained ourselves to live in it. And one of the first things that we have to do when we come to ourselves, you remember the story of the prodigal son? In Luke 15, verse 17, the word says this, and when he came to himself, whenever we come to ourselves, whenever we, we, we wake up, and I don't use that word for anyone to use as a crutch. I think all of you know what I'm talking about. The first thing we have to do in this thing of asking God to break the chains of sin in our life, we have to admit it. And then once we admit it, we have to confess it in Psalms 51 verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Now let someone, let me encourage you to do something. Now you're in the struggle and you're, you're, you're going through a vulnerable time in your life. Let me encourage you to let someone you know whom you can trust. And by the way, you can't trust everybody. Some people you think you can trust. And before you could tell somebody here, this is not the Garden of Eden. Before sin. You, you could tell somebody here who you think you could trust. And before you get to Melothian Turnpike, there'll be a billboard down there saying what you told them. The phone waves will burn like a fire out of control. So remember this, you can't trust everybody. When you feel that the devil has its clutches in you and 
and you're coming to the Lord in all humbleness and sincerity. And truly, you are sick of the vomit that you have been drinking and eating and splashing. You're sick of it. And you're saying, oh, God in heaven, break these chains that hold me down. Then what I would encourage you to do is to find someone you can trust. Not just pray this prayer. And I'm not saying God's not sufficient. He said his grace would be sufficient in all things. But I would recommend find somebody you can trust and let them know. Present yourself in the realms of accountability where you know you got somebody that's going to fall on their face and touch the throne room of heaven for you. And let them know just how the enemy has taken advantage of you. And then, see, it doesn't stop with just a simple thought or two. Then I would recommend to ask for reinforcing prayer warriors from people who you know that are walking with God to help you pray. In James chapter 5, verse 16, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You cannot deny that. And so if, if we do not deal with this thing of sin, if we don't deal with it, and Jesus did a wonderful thing with it on the cross, but you and I have to contend with it every day until we are resting at his feet in heaven. Listen, we will find ourselves in the same place that Pharaoh was in. In Romans 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death, or obedience unto righteousness, but God be thankful that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Now listen carefully. I don't care who you are. I'm speaking of myself first and foremost. There's not a person in this building I don't care how long you've been saved, how many scriptures you can quote, how long you've been in church. Listen, there's not one person in this building or watching by internet. None of us can control sin. None of us. And we all, every last one of us can become slaves to it. In Exodus 14, verse 6, And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and he overtook them encamping by the sea. In verse 10, and when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were so afraid and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Listen, if this story ended right here, Israel would have been in a very good place if that was the end. I'm talking about after 400 years of slavery, they now know what to do. They knew how to cry unto the Lord and they could have continued to cry, Lord help us. But I want you to see how quick this changed in verse 11. And they said unto Moses, because there were no graves and Egypt hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did to tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. First now, they cried out with boldness, and everything was perfect up to this point. They cried out in faith. They believed. But soon the enemy showed up. 
When the enemy showed up, it changed their entire perspective. I mean, it dramatically changed. So instead of turning to God, they turned against Moses. And they asked, why would God lead us to a place of destruction? They moved so quickly from a place of boldness to a place of fear. And number two, quickly. And this is one of the main points of my message today. Look at it. If you're holding your bulletin in your hand, look at this. Never base your actions on what you feel as opposed to what you know. Never base your actions on what you feel as opposed to what you know. Romans 8, 28, and we know, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That we know. Look at this. The children of Israel, what did they know? They knew the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud had never left them. They knew that. They knew that in the plagues, God did not abandon them. They knew that God, the God of their fathers had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They knew all of that. But all of a sudden, they're saying, it's not about what we know. It's about what we see. But in this hysteria, God is once again bringing them to a place to reveal himself as to who he is and what he is capable of doing. We have to remember this, that if we're truly walking with God, and I emphasize that, if we're truly trusting him, if we're truly depending on him, that he will never, ever lead us to a place where he is unwilling to see us through. Never. But the devil wants you to think at times in your life that God has given up on you. In Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promise. Never forget that in every single experience of life, God is always wanting to teach us something. Always. In Exodus 14, 13, and Moses said unto Pharaoh, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. So Moses says this, Stand still, be quiet, stop this ruckus. He said, be patient. You know, Sometimes standing still is not an easy thing to do. And it's something that has taken many Christians many, many years to understand. For a Christian soldier, marching on, or in some cases, retreating, is much more easier than standing still. Just something about us that makes us go this way or makes us go this way, but when God says, hey, stop, that seems to be the hardest. And I want you to think about this. Standing still in tribulation, standing still when you see trouble over the horizon, when you see trouble coming your way, but standing still when God says be still is a fruit of Christian maturity. Number three, we can stand with confidence in the peace of God when we are standing where he has put us. In 1 Thessalonians 5.24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Moses could have said to the Hebrews, hey, stand still because he knew that they were in the right place According to the map, they were in the right place. He could have said, stand still because you see the Shekinah glory cloud. Because to be there was to be in the presence of God. But remember this, I hope I, if, if there was one thing that I could stress to you today that you would get fixed in your mind, your brain, your heart before you walk out of this church house today, it would be this. Listen carefully and I'll explain it. Listen.
God is not on the whistle system with us. Let me say, I'm going to explain that to you again. God is not on the whistle system with us. What, what, do you, what do you mean, preacher? I want you to think about this. Sometimes we think that we, and this is a twofold thought process here, but listen, follow along this with me. Even though sin is a choice, and you have the ability to say no or yes. Sometimes we think that we can do whatever we want to do. Whenever we want to do it, in any way we choose. And when God looks down and he sees all this, all this mess that we're living in and all this stuff that we're doing. Sometimes we think we can do all of that. And then when we get out of breath, when we get our knees too skinned, when we have collapsed under being found out, when the consequences come to us like a tsunami, and all of a sudden we blow the whistle. And we expect God because we think we want God to be on the whistle system with us that when, whenever we've had our fill and the consequences has found us out and we can blow the whistle and we expect God to do whatever's necessary to make this right and to get ourselves out of the serious trouble that we're in. We, we feel that we can just blow this whistle, the panic, push the panic button and expect God to come rescue us. But that's not how his protection and his providence works. If you think that, and then this is one reason you might be angry at God today. When we're dwelling in his presence, it's then, yes, that we reap the benefits of his promise. The presence of God guarantees peace. I want you to look at this for a moment, and I don't have time to develop this, but look, Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I wonder how many in here today, you're restless. And the reason why you're restless is because you did your thing, you blew the whistle, and things are ten times worse. It's because you need some peace. You need peace of God. You won't find it as a fugitive, as a prodigal. I hope that you know that there are no magic verses in the Bible. God's not a magic genie. There's peace in his presence, but that comes through persistent effort. To seek his presence. Number four, quickly, only the power of God can deliver us from the power of sin. And I want our ushers to get ready for the close of the service, our musicians to come. But I want you to see this in Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 Peter 1, 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. When we are bought with the blood as born-again believers and God redeems us or rescues us out of the bondage of sin, when we are brought out of that place, God tells us, listen now, I want you to stand still and I want you to watch me work in your life. In Exodus 14, 15, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Look, that's the most unusual verse. God says, okay, now 
Now let's get to work. Now let's go. Let's move. I don't have time to read for you this morning, Exodus 14, 16 through 20, but it's on your bulletin and I want you to look at it. Here's the point. Remember now that the cloud was going before them both day and night. The cloud was leading them. They were going out of Egypt with boldness. But then they looked back at the dust of the Egyptians catching up with them. And then now notice what God does. God decides to move the cloud between the Hebrews and the Egyptians. And he says, look at me, is what he's saying. Don't look at the dust. Don't look at the Egyptians. Don't look at your trouble, look at your problem. He said, I want you to look at me. He said, I have promised to take care of you. I have protected you. I will continue to protect you. And I want you to learn this spiritual truth this morning that whenever tempted to look on the poorest of your circumstances, always choose to look upon Jesus, always. And this is one of the times when the children of Israel, they got it. To them, listen, God became more to them than the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. This is when they acknowledged God to be their God. We have all had defining moments in our lives. And perhaps God right now is preparing you for a defining moment. You cannot break the chains of sin yourself. If you're saying, I cannot do it. I cannot help it. I cannot do anything about it. It is who I am, what I am. Then you have believed a lie from the devil. Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You cannot do it yourself any more than you can save yourself. Any more than you can take yourself to heaven. Listen, you can't do any of those things. We are all dependent on God. The blood, his grace, his mercy, his unconditional love, our repentance, our confession, our embracing, our receiving. Listen, we, we have to fall at his feet and say, Lord God, I cannot do this. And the devil's telling me one more time, but God, break the chains. And if we come to him in all sincerity and we're not interested in the slightest bit of one more time, God is a miracle-working God. Several years ago, I close. I was preaching on a Sunday morning, and somebody, somebody really truly in the service that day really wanted, they, they said, Pastor, I, I, listen, I'm under the bondage. I'm, to me, I'm not speaking for anybody else, but I'm under the bondage. I know that, that these cigarettes, I know it's affecting my health and I know it's affecting me and a witness. It, and they went on with this stuff. And I'm standing down here and I, and, I'm, and I got hearing aids and I'm trying to hear, I get most of it. And they said, by God's grace, I won't lay these cigarettes on this altar right there. And I'm going to turn them over to God. By grace, I'm, by faith, I'm trusting God take this addiction away from me. I said, praise God, brother. I, man, this is good. I prayed with the brother. He went to the seat. The service was over with. People went home. I was getting myself together and getting ready to go. He comes up to me in the lobby. He says, Pastor, he said, did somebody move them cigarettes? Did somebody take my cigarette? I said, I thought you gave them to God. And he wanted them back. I was sitting in my office two years ago and a pastor locally came to see me and this is what he said. 
He said, preacher, he said, before I was saved, he said, I, I lived under most bridges in the United States. He said, I've been in a good majority of jails all across this country. He said, I know what it's like to eat out of a dumpster on Thanksgiving. He said, for I don't know how long I have shot dope in my veins. And he said, I am an alcoholic. He said, God saved me. Almost, almost the exact same testimony as Mel Trotter. I don't know how many of you know of him, but if you've never heard of Mel Trotter, read a story. He was walking by a rescue mission downtown Newport News. And he heard some of those men in there singing the song, What a Wonderful Change in My Life Has Been Brought Since Jesus Came Into My Heart. He walked in that rescue mission and he got saved. And he told me this. He said, by God's grace, I gave all that stuff up. He said, now I know this, that if I were to take, Pastor, if I were to take one more drink, he said, even though I've been preaching the gospel for 25 years, I've been saved, I've been changed, I gave all them things back to God. He said, I know if I take one more, he said, I, I'm going to resume my drinking. He said, I, I, I'm too wise to know. He said, but I gave them to God. And God took that desire away from me. Sometimes we say, there's my... There's my smokes, God, dope, whatever, pornography, whatever it is. There it is. And before the church house turns the lights off, we want to get it all back. But then sometimes we really mean business with God and we say, here I am, God, break the chains. God does it and he changes your life, not in your power. You can't do it. But you can do all things through him. So what I'm telling you this morning is this, as we bring this series to a close, we serve a great big God, a life-changing God. And he can dramatically change your life if you want it changed. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.